Amen. All right. So you can turn to the book of Joel, which is on page 992. In your phone. In my phone? In your phone. Joel. Who wrote the book of Joel? Um, hmm. no, not Paul. Not Paul. He's not going to be around for a while. Verse 1 tells us the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. And the author, therefore, is Joel, which literally means, does anybody know what Joel means? I'll give you a hint. Joel. Yep. Joe, the first part really is Jehovah, right? So, and then God in the generic sense is El. Anything Elohim, El is just kind of a generic God. So it literally means Yahweh is God or something like that. Um, Joel himself, biographically speaking, we don't have much more information on Joel other than what's here. We have him referenced a couple of times, and we'll look at some places where some of these things are cited in the New Testament, but nobody really says, hey, Joel used to live in, uh, you know, PVL, and he had a couple kids and a wife. We, we don't know anything about him and from anywhere else in the Bible. His message is focused on Jerusalem, maybe even mostly in what's going on with the temple. Um, again, the date is kind of fuzzy. Um, somewhere around the exile, most people think it's after the exile of Jerusalem, but definitely the exile is a big, big part of what he's talking about. And the main purpose is talking about the day of the Lord and judgment. And so this is a, a prophetic book. There's a lot of symbolism happening. And um, it's kind of the typical kind of announcement of judgment followed by uh, promises of salvation. That kind of comes up in a lot of these books. So that's a little bit about Joel. And the good part about a book like Joel is that it's three chapters. <laughs> it's not like, uh, you know, Jeremiah, which is, you know, 50-something chapters. Hi, Sharon. Hi. Three chapters, so we can read the whole thing, and we can really get a good tour of Joel. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to read chapter by chapter, and then we're just going to talk about it and apply it. Uh, is our movie guy still in the timeout chair? The movie guy is still in the timeout chair. Oh, nothing's changed. Yeah, unfortunately not. I don't, I don't know what, to, I don't know, we're never going to know, like, unless he comes out and says, like, what his stance is on homosexuality or, or whatnot, but, yeah, he said some very weird things lately, so. There's a lot of weird things said lately. There's a lot of weird oh. things lately, yep, yep, so, he's definitely, uh, persona non grata in some circles on Twitter, which I try not to involve myself in too much, <laughs> Because it'll suck you right in. Okay. But anyway, let's look at chapter 1 of Joel. And so I'll read, uh, I'm going to read probably just the first 12 verses and then we'll back up. So, hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Such a thing, ha has, has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are a lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. 
It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed and the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. And wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because of the harvest of the field, has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of men. Aren't you so encouraged you've come out to midweek tonight? <laughs> I feel better already. <laughs> so we start off, if we back up, he's calling the elders, and he's saying, has anything happened like this before? <coughs> like anything in your lifetime? He's like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing that's happening right now. Seriously, tell your kids, tell your kids to tell their kids, and tell their kids to tell even the next generation. This is how unique this is going on. What has happened in verse 4? What's this unique thing? Locusts. Yeah, so most guys actually think, I think I, for years just kind of assumed this was one giant symbolism, which it is, but most guys actually think there was a actual physical locust uh, invasion. And I don't know much about locusts, but I know they like to destroy crops. And boy, did they, because there's absolutely nothing left. The cutting locusts, the swarming locusts came, then the hopping locusts came, then the destroying locusts came. So there's no more crops. And if there's no more, cro uh, no more crops, then... Verse 5, guess what? There's no more wine. And so drunkards weep and wail because you got no wine to drink because the locusts ate all of the crops for the grapes. They ate all the vineyards. Um, yeah, I sing like a, like a nation came up, like hordes of locusts. Every once in a while we see like invasions of locusts, you know, in the news even today. And it just looks like the sky is black with locusts, that kind of thing, eating the bark off the trees, right? So the economy's tanked, there's no more crops, and of course, all of this is a shout out to like what actually happened, or is about to happen, depending on when you date the book, with Babylon coming into Jerusalem. That's literally probably what it was like, right? Just absolutely trash the place. Nothing left, right? In, um, let's see, verse 9... He says, the grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. In one respect, a practical contextual respect, if this was an actual horde of locusts that ate all the crops, then why is the grain offering and drink offering cut off? Because there's nothing there. Yeah. <laughs> they ate it all. 10% of nothing is nothing. Yes. <laughs> nothing is nothing. Yep. Yep. And if they are actually in uh, Babylon, and this is post-exile, then the other practical reason would be because they're no longer in Jerusalem, and they can't get back to the temple to make their, their sacrifices in the first place. So they can't offer the worship that God has required because of everything that's going on. Um, and with that, the joy of the people is gone too. In, in the last part of verse 12, so the, the gladness dries up from the children of man. You would think that would be pretty 
appropriate, right? Everything else around you, you have no food, you have nothing else, and suddenly now, you know, why would you have joy? There's, there's no wine left. <laughs> there's no, there's no offerings. There's no people. There's no food. Yep. There's no food. Yeah. So yeah. Now we got food. We we have lots of food here. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> we sure do. And and gone is also the joy of the people. Then comes in this theme that we will we will see uh, happening, in the day of the Lord and the judgment. And we start to get a little bit more focus on what's happening here. So I'll read the rest in verse thirteen. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty it comes, it is not is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of God? The seed shrivels under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. How the beasts groan, the herds of cattle are perplexed because there's no pasture for them. <laughs> Cows are like, hey, where am I supposed to get some meat around here? <laughs> because there's no pasture for them, even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. The flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Mm, so now we have uh, a drought and fire. Yep. We have more things happening. We have drought, we have fire, which fire, there's probably some symbolism in there of judgment. Generally, when you see fire, especially in a prophetic book, um, it's going to mean judgment. And so a lot of people kind of in the prosperity kind of camp would say fire's good, like, you know, let the fire fall on me, Lord. It's like you, you probably don't yeah. want the fire to be falling on you because most of the time when you have fire in the, in the scriptures, it is something of purification and of uh, purging things, of judgment. Right? So what is he calling for? What is uh, Joel calling for in verse 13, 14? Fast. Yep. They're already hungry, so he calls a fast. <laughs> That's a really good point. <laughs> fast from what exactly? Well, let's let's consecrate it. You know, yes. Let's, yes. Let's yes. We're, we're just going to say anyway. since since we can't eat, we're just right. going to call it a fast anyway, right? But this idea of sackcloth, right? The idea of put on your morning clothes, right? Not your morning clothes, like your sweatpants and hoodie. Is sackcloth like your burlap. Yes, okay. it's something that you, you put on that would indicate to the world around you that you are grieving, that something has gone tragically wrong with your life, right? So, so Joel's essentially saying to them, own it, you know, embrace this. This is where we are. Call the fast, put on the sackcloth, grieve out loud, like the, we are where we are, you know, kind of own the situation, right? Stop fighting this, right? You guys know why this happened, right? The Lord's been telling you for a long time. Now it's just time to own it. Let's, let's go to the Lord. Don't, don't go away from the Lord. The end of verse 14 says, cry out to the Lord. He says, let's, let's do this right. So Joel is calling them to the Lord, and we'll see in a moment. He's calling them to repentance. But there's a phrase in verse um, 
15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. What do we think of when we hear that phrase, day of the Lord? Very frequently in Scripture. Second coming. Okay, second coming. Yep. Okay. What's that? Sunday. Sunday. Okay, the Lord's Day. Yep. How about in, uh, in like Old Testament times when we hear something like this? The day of the Lord. When they were let out of Egypt? Okay. He did use that in Exodus. I'm almost positive, right? And he used it on Pharaoh, right? Like this this is this is the day. Like it ends now. Like um yeah, wrath. Like judgment is here. Like and so we could see that biblical motif throughout, right? Uh, definitely in Egypt, right? Israel was saved by the judgment on Egypt, right? And so the day of the Lord was there for Pharaoh, he was judged. So generally in biblical language it's judgment. When you see the day of the Lord, it means God's had enough and it's happening. And, you know, you're right to point to Jesus' return, right? Because that will, again, be another day of the Lord where, where Jesus will stand and he will hold his court and he will declare who's guilty and who's innocent, right? That will be the last, the final kind of day of the yeah, Lord. Yeah, right. The destruction of the temple was another one too, right? Yep. In 70 AD. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So the day of the Lord is generally not a happy thing like, hey. Yeah. It's generally the Lord is now going to dispense his wrath because he's had enough and judgment day has come, right? And so we see that for Israel several times, and this is another one of them, right, here. Um, So Joel calls for repentance, for fasting, and then again he says, you know, this is is where we are. He's lamenting the day. This is what he's grieving. Alas, the day of the Lord is near. Like there's no food the beasts grown, they don't have any food. Fire, whether it's real fire or judgmental fire, it's happening. Right? So let's go to, now that we set the table there, let's look at chapter 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them is a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire, devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them are peoples in anguish, all faces grow pale. Like warriors they charge, like soldiers they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his own path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city, they run upon the walls, they climb upon the houses, they enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and their stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army. The camp is, for his camp is exceedingly great, who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? So we see more 
discouraging news, right? We, we see more judgment happening. What does this look like? What kind of connotations come up with some of these words that we were reading? Looks like an invasion. Yeah. And there are guys that think, like, yeah, the locusts look like an army, which is like, okay, it could. But to me, this is sounding a lot more like an actual army yeah. coming in and invading. And you yeah. guys heard some of the words we were reading, like, you know, they, they're, they're climbing the walls, they're coming, right? Um, you know, an army with however many hundreds of thousands or millions of people approaching, like the ground would literally shake. It doesn't sound them. like a human army, though, because they say yeah. they just go straight. They don't veer side to side. Yeah. They're like programmed. They're going straight. Yeah. Some of these. Yeah. The other thing, too, is... Um, it talks about when they, they scale the wall, they see people who are in misery, right? Which kind of would lead up to what the siege would be like. When you have a siege, you cut off the, the city from food, and so people are basically starving to death. And so, yeah, when they do come in, they're, they're pretty much just marching right in there, jumping over the wall, and Weapons that's are it. not stopping them. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, it could be locusts, could be the actual army. I think, I think either one works, right? I think in the grand scheme of things, it's definitely, if it's not talking about the actual Babylonian army, it's definitely pointing to that with one day that will happen very, very quickly, right? I, I think there's argument to be made that it's not actually them because it says that they charge like warriors okay. they scale the walls like soldiers. Okay. So that sounds like it's not Bugs warriors, climbing up the wall? Okay. Or just that it's not, not soldiers. Yeah. If it's like a soldier, like, okay. why would we say, you know? Right. I like it. Okay. Yeah, the heading here says an army of locusts. What's that? The heading in the NIV, an army of locusts. An army of locusts. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that, that was the heading. Okay. At the beginning of chapter two. Okay. That's why they can enter easily through the windows because they're small. They're and small. Just go right in and okay. you know, fly in. Maybe. Yeah. Sounds like it. They, it does call it his army. And that's over verse 11. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Yep. For his camp. So, he does say the prophecy of future desolation. At least in my uh, What do you have, Joanne? What version? I have the Ryrie, actually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Ryrie's taking some assumptions and, and heading towards future. Yeah. Yeah. If this is locusts, I would definitely say it's at least pointing towards what's going to happen. It's going to look very similar when the Babylonian army uh, kicks in their front door, finally. Right? Um, verse 11, though, is, is important for us to think about. It says, the Lord utters his voice before his army. Right? The idea of sovereignty. Like, whatever this is. If it's locusts that he sent, or if it's the Babylonians that he allowed to come in in judgment of his nation... Um, the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Mm. What is that saying? No one can escape it. Yeah. There's no one more powerful than God. Right. right? And, and it could be, an, again, an analogy comparing the army of Babylon to the locusts, that they were yep. as numerous as locusts. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I so, think yeah. we can um, also associate um, the ants mm -hmm. you know mighty are the ants okay they, they can carry so much weight yeah and 
they can consume us. I mean, yeah. um, our hands, yep. oh, they can consume us. And, um, <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no. I've been there. Went to, um, you know, Costa Rica. <laughs> and um, they are ferocious, you yeah. know, and I, I think that when we think of insects, yeah. you know, um, Sure. They that are, idea of organization, teamwork, strength, destruction. Yeah. 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 I mean, we learned that's that's where everybody got things from is watching what God has done in in nature and Chris creation. Mm-hmm. You see all the ants lined up and doing their thing. And you do that with people. You do that with an army. Yeah. yeah. True. It also made me think of the wrath of the Lord, right? Because that's what's happening here. That's yep. what's being symbolized, right? The day of the Lord, the wrath of the Lord, who can endure it? And it made me think ahead to Christ in the sense of who can endure. It's kind of like a riddle. Who can endure the wrath of the Lord? Mm. There's only one that can endure the wrath of the Lord. And Jesus, yeah. Sunday school. He's the only one that can satisfy. Yep. It, it, like we talked about, they give us that peace. Yep. Because we're at war with God, right? Exactly. And basically, He gives that uh, through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, He gives us that peace. Yeah. It's the only way we're going to have it. Yeah. Because basically, it said the unbelievers, that they're not at peace. Uh, they're, 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 they die not at peace. Right. The unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it brings to mind, you know, you read this and you think, like, wow, like, that must have been absolutely terrifying. Either, either way, we've talked about it. Whether it is the sky being blackened with locusts and everything else, and they're climbing up your walls, and you know there's nowhere to go, that's still terrifying. And then, of course, you know the eventual reality of the Babylonians coming in is is ultimately terrifying. And the Bible says that's nothing compared to the wrath of God. There's there's no one that's going to be able to stand in that way or endure it. Right. If you think that is bad, you haven't seen anything yet until yeah the wrath of God. Right. 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 And it makes us think about how much Jesus actually absorbed. Right? Like he absorbed the full wrath of God. That there's no one on earth that can stand, even one of us, what we deserve. And he did it for all that will come to him. It's, it's amazing, the depth of the cross. Right? We're coming up on Good Friday, where we'll spend lots of time focusing on what Jesus' sacrifice meant. And this is a good passage to kind of start our brains thinking about, wow. What did Jesus actually absorb for us that no one, no mere human could ever endure? Yeah, we'll be watching Moses split the sea. What? We'll be watching Moses split the sea on Good Friday. Oh, yeah? That's Where are you going? Sight and Sound Theater. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The, the whole visualization is just amazing. Yeah. You know? It's just... Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I, don't, I can't even say. Yeah. It is. It really goes into detail of just how terrifying and destructing, destructive that should be. Right? Um, all right, let's look at the second half yeah. of chapter 2. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful. Slow to, abang- slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. 
Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Okay, so we've got a turning point here. What's God saying now? Back up to verse 12. Return to me. Yeah. How, how many times does he give them a chance to repent? I mean, I think the whole book, Return to Me. <laughs> the whole Bible, yeah. Name it. Okay. Return, Return to, to me. me. Yeah. How many times in Jeremiah alone, you know? However many years and years and years he stood there saying, Repent, 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 repent. Right? And now, with this so imminent, God's saying it again. Repent. Even now, he says, Return to me with all of your hearts, right? Yeah, stop everything you're doing and, yep. and turn to me, yeah. Yep, and he says something weird in verse 13. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Well, he, doesn't hard, he doesn't want our things. Okay, what does it mean to rend your garments? To, to break. To yeah, yeah, you rip, rip them, rip. right? Yeah. And like, so that would be a sign... Tear your hearts, not just your clothes. Okay, and what is it a sign of when you tear your garments? Morning. 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 Yeah, you're, it would be a sign of weeping, right? Something out of you. Like there are whatever um, movie adaptations there are of the passion narratives, right? You'll see that in the final stages when, like, uh, Christ drops it that, you know, he is, yes, I am, I am the Messiah, right? And you see one of the high priests go, like, you know, tears robe dramatically. You can't say that. It's like, what have you just said? It's blasphemy. Like, it's something so shocking and something so grief-inducing, right? That's what that is. So, so what is he saying there? So he says, tear your hearts, rend your hearts, not your garments. What is that actually saying? Actually repent. Yeah. I don't care whatever little drama production you put on about tearing your shirts and whoa look at me i'm in sackcloth and ashes and i'm grieving god again says what i want your heart yeah like right. actually be sincere superficial compared to internal yeah right. i'm not talking about box checking here oh great you repented cool you ripped your little garment <laughs> do you actually mean it mm-hmm. are you actually repenting do you actually understand does your sin actually grieve you or are you just ripping your shirt to let everybody Obviously, know that you're sad? god knows not you can't say just you're sorry. Yep. It's more than just saying you're sorry. Yep. Not the outside, the inside. Exactly. Observant Jews still do that today when they, after like the, f- the funeral of a, um, you know, again, uh, worshiping Jewish person, they have these little buttons that are a piece of cloth that they tear and then they wear them, you know, instead of tearing their actual clothing. It's a way to still observe <laughs> that, to have those buttons, those torn cloth yeah. buttons. And it covered. Wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. I guess that's a special shirt. It's the legality. Yeah. Well, no, again, it's, it's like a little tiny button that's like a square of cloth. Yeah. And they rip that and wear it instead of actually tearing the cloth, clothing they wear. Right. Right, right. So that everybody knows, you know, they're in mourning. Yeah. So what's the message for us? Something like this, rend your hearts, not your garments. Go within, not without. 
Go within, not without. Yeah. It's the heart that matters. Yeah. yeah. Do we actually get it? Do we actually understand how much sin grieves God and how much it should grieve us? And are we just going through the motions or do we actually want to repent? Do we right. actually? Are we and talking about heartfelt repentance here? Yeah. Yeah, actually changing direction, yep. doing something different yep. than you were doing before. Yep. And verse 12 is a great, great definition of repent, right? Return to me. Yeah. Like, turn around. Return to me with all your heart. Yeah. yeah. Don't just don't just say stop the pain, right? We talked about that last week. Hosea hit the same thing. Don't just wail at me from your beds. You know, cry out to me from your heart. Mm-hmm. That's what God wants, time and time again. It's a huge, important passage. But verse thirteen says, "Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful." Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, he resents, he relents over disaster. Hold on, I'm confused. I thought the day of the Lord was great and very awesome, and who can endure it? I thought the Lord was terrifying. Until you turn. And then he says, I'm gracious and merciful, slow to anger. What do we do with these two things? Well, obviously, we quote that verse all the time, but leave the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to put that on a coffee mug, right? <laughs> when he gets angry, then is when you have to watch out. Yeah, yeah, his, his, his judgment is for real. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. But also, so is his forgiveness and patience and repentance, right? God never sleeps. So, Joel, even in these couple verses paints a really good, balanced picture of who God actually is. And the danger is what? We get all one-sided on this, right? God's all wrath. He hates everybody. Everybody's going to burn, right? Or God's all love. He loves everyone. It's like, well, what does the Bible paint God to be? The Bible says he's both. Merciful and just. Yep, exactly. Yeah. You can't be merciful if there's not a standard to begin with. Well, there we go with the Ten Commandments. There we go, right back to the Ten Commandments again. I was trying not to do it, but... Uh, oh, the Old Covenant compared to the New Covenant. <laughs> yeah. He is both. The Bible says he is both, and we have to watch that we have a biblical balance in the way that we think about God. Right? Even as believers in Christ, we know that he is has forgiven us, that we are new creations in Christ, that we are part of his family, adopted into his family through faith in his son, right? But he's still going to punish sin. Not our sin, if we have actually rendered our hearts and not our garments, but he's still going to punish sin. And so we've, we've got to remember that, and we've got to remember how much he hates sin. And so we have that responsibility then to make sure we, uh, our hearts are fully engaged in this. There's another part in verse 17. It's a little bit weird because it says, uh, between the vestibule and the altar, let the priest, the minister of the Lord, weep and say, right? So um, from what I saw in this, between the vestibule and the altar is the place of prayer for the priests, the place where they did some of their work, and, and it would be very fitting for them to be calling out, weeping for the Lord to spare his people, right? That's what the priests should be doing in this situation. Like, get to your spot, get to your station, get on your face, and beg for God to show us mercy. That's what you should be doing, priest, right? I think it was Hosea last week that said they weren't doing that, right? They were just feeding themselves. 
right? He says, no, this is what you should be doing. Prayer is a huge aspect of this, and the priests need to be doing their jobs. Right? And it gets even happier, somewhat. Verse 18. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on the people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner from you and drive him into a part, excuse me, and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. Stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruits. The fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain, as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. So major hinge point of the book here. In 2.18, this is where the whole thing focuses now instead of judgment. Now we're talking about salvation and restoration. The Lord has become jealous for his land. We talked about that in Isaiah and Hosea, especially Hosea, right, with the the dramatic imagery of last week. What is he doing in 18 to 27? On a broad scale, right? Remember we came where we came from in chapter one. What was going on in chapter one? How much how many grain, wine, oil fields were there? Zero. Zero to plenty. Zilch. So he's reversing everything. He's restoring everything. He's saying, I'm sending you grain and wine, and you're gonna be satisfied. I'll remove the northerner, right? A, a, a call out to the Babylonian army coming from the north. I'm going to kick him out. He says, fear not, be glad, and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. He's going to take care of the beasts. He's going to, be, he's going to cause them to be glad and to rejoice. Uh, why, are they, why, why is he telling them not to fear anymore? Believe in his mercy. Okay. Yeah, because he's going to show them his goodness. Right? And God's goodness is going to drive away their fear. Yeah, definitely. And he says in um, verse 25, I think it is something just so beautiful. I'll restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. What is that saying? I'll restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. I'll give them more than what they started with. Yeah. I mean, I mean think of the desperation of the people looking out. Yeah. Everything's gone. All their crops are gone. Right? They're subsistence farmers, right? They don't have food in their fields. They're going to starve. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to restore to you. All those years that you had nothing, I'm going to give you restoration from that. 
it also, I think, has, like, it gives the idea that those years were not wasted. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just because it was. He knew those years. Yeah, yeah. What parallels can we draw to our gospel journey, perhaps, from this? The Lord wastes nothing. The Lord wastes nothing, mm-hmm. right? What did some, Sharon, you I said, said something? renewing of spring. Renewing of spring, okay. Yeah, yep. it's like um, rebirth every, yep. every year. Yeah. That we look at what he does. Yeah. And seeing the little sprouts. Sure. You know? Yep. It's amazing. And even Job, look at what yeah. happened to Job. Oh, That's what I was thinking. He, he yeah. lost Job. everything. Yep. And never... Yep. Always was there for the Lord. You know, never... Yeah. And, and he... The Lord repaid them. Yeah. Yeah. We remember, um, you know, some of us have had years away from the Lord, right? And some of us had have made a real mess of our lives with sin, right? And, and as Mel said, he wastes nothing. Like those years weren't just a, a, a parentheses, right, for him. He knew everything that was going on, and he knew every tear that we cried, and he knew every sin that we messed up. And he says, I'm counting every single one, and I'm going to restore that. I'm going to grow it back. I'm going to give it back to you. Sounds almost like a prodigal son story. Yeah. Uh, one of the 99. Yeah. 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 And so what an encouragement, right? That, that again, when you go through uh, those years where you feel like either you're away from the Lord or there's just seasons of dryness or, or absence of plenty or whatever's going on, he's not wasting it. He knows exactly what's going on. And, and to stay faithful, right, to return to him, to uh, fear not, right? Because our God will restore that. Now, the danger, of course, is thinking he's going to restore that here and now, which, yes, coming to the Lord, repenting, yes, obedience to all that in the gospel is going to bring blessing from your life in some way, shape, or form. But ultimately, this is going to be fulfilled, right, in eternity, right? We know that for sure. Yeah, those, those years won't even be... And it's hard to imagine, like, all the years of pain or all the years of sickness or all the years of suffering, like, in heaven. Like, will we even remember mm-hmm. all that? Like, you think it's going to be so, so, so hard to go through all those things? We even remember when you're worshiping at the feet of Jesus. We don't need to remember that. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, verse 26 says, my people will never again be put to shame. Yep. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yep. Look at verse 27 too. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and I'm the Lord your God and there's none else. Even in the midst of those trials where the locusts have eaten everything under the sun, he's still right there with us. His presence is with us. He's in the midst of them. Then we have this really cool moment in 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Sound familiar to anybody? 
everybody's going to prophesy because everybody's going to have a spirit. So it's not just the special people who have the spirit. One day anybody is going to have the spirit. And of course he's talking about anybody who's going to come to know the Messiah at that point. So it's kind of, again, Wendy, to your point, it's all the same story. It keeps coming up again and again and again. And the different... Uh, uh, I always have to be careful because I don't want to get into modalism, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the different functions of the Holy Spirit. Not the different modes of the Holy Spirit, but the different functions. He's still God, still God the Spirit, but he serves different functions based upon where he is in redemptive history. Yeah, and what God needs done. And what God needs done. Yep. Now let's finish up chapter 3. The Lord judges the nations. And for behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and cast lots for my people and traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. So in other words, God's saying, okay, I know you did all that stuff. Um, now it's time to pay up. You can't do that to my people, Babylon. Right. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold, and you've carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you've sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. God talking about how, again, he's, he's, he's uh, working nations to do his bidding. He's going to send judgment on the people that he sent to judge Israel on, if you're keeping track at home. right? He's sovereign over all that. I'll sell your sons and daughters into the hands of the people of Judah. How about that? You sold my people, I'm going to sell your people. And they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. And let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, and their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near. Again with the day of the Lord in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and their stars withdraw from shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people and a stronghold to the people of Israel. So we see this complete uh, judgment kind of turnaround. It comes full circle now. right? God was judging his nation, and he allowed those nations to do it. But now what is God doing? He's judging the nations for their sin. They're still responsible for their sin. Right? Even though God allowed them to do that, it was their sin that did it, and God's going to judge them for it. Yeah, Wendy? Doesn't 13 put your um, sickle for the harvest is right? Isn't that repeated in Revelation? It is repeated several places, and it's actually opposite. In Isaiah 2.4 and Micah 4.3, okay. he says, beat your swords into plowshares, right. and beat your spears into pruning hooks. 
right? So it's so cool that he actually turns that on his head. He goes, guess what? Now it's my judgment, right? It's no longer a time for peace. This is time for I'm going to make my holy war on the people who judged, who, who invaded my people and sold my people, right? So he uses this very familiar imagery from Isaiah and Micah and turns that completely around and says, guess what? It's time to go to war. It's time to go to holy war. Israel will be redeemed in this, and that's where he ends in um, verse 17. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains will drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water in the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness. For the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood. I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. What do we see God? like? He kind of has a different persona now, in a way. What is his... What is his personality, if you will? What is, what is his attitude in chapter 3, especially at the end? He's taking care of his people. He's taking care of his people. Yes. Even though they rejected him, right? There still will be some that will be faithful, and he's going to fight for them, right? What does that say about our God? He loves us, that he's going to fight for our people. He is our defender. He's a parent. He's a parent. He's our Heavenly Father, right? He's merciful. He's what? Merciful. He's merciful. Yeah. He is the only God. He is That's the, the whole thing. Is yep. I am the only God. Yep. Yep. He says that, right? Yeah. Verse 21. I will yeah. pardon their blood guilt, which I had not pardoned. Yep. And again, the day of the Lord. Like this is this is. This is like, yep. I like that, that term, the, the parental kind of term, right? This is the Heavenly Father who is now going full Papa Bear here. He's coming in, and it's time for him to have his vengeance Cute. for his people. I like Papa Bear. You like that, Papa yeah. Bear? Yeah. yeah. So there are times for repentance, right? There are times to own our sin, right? But there's also a time for calling on the Lord. And there's a time for the Lord to act, and he will act. And, and his people will be redeemed. And, of course, we extend that to us, God's people, us, the new Israel, the church of Jesus Christ. All the people, right, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not just Israel, right? So God will fight for us. God will redeem us. God will defend us. Sounds like the gospel. Sounds like the gospel to me. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's yeah. kind of like um, you look at a father. And you say they love you no matter what. Yeah. And they're going to protect you, and they're going to love you. Yeah. And they're going to do everything for you. Mm-hmm. And um, no matter what you do, they're going to be there for you. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I look at. Yeah. You know, I didn't really have a father. Mm-hmm. Um, my father was an uh, alcoholic, so I didn't really have one. But I looked to the Lord yeah. in many, many years. Yeah. You know, for my father, you know. 
not that my father was never there, but right. um, he died at a very early age too. Okay. And um, yeah, but you know. But he's the. You see the pointing to to our God, the perfect heavenly Father, the perfect right? God, yeah. the perfect Father. There's a very real gospel image here too in the fact that. Uh, well, let me ask it this way. In our, in our membership interviews, in the final phase, one of our elders always likes to ask, what are we being saved from? Mm -hmm. yeah. What are we being saved from? When we're saved, what are we being saved from? Wrath of God. Being saved from wrath of God. R.C. Sproul put it this way, we're saved from God, by God. I didn't answer because I would only went through that a few years ago, so I remember very well. <laughs> I mean, God is the one who is going to take out his wrath on us unless God himself intervenes. <laughs> yeah. So God provides us, Jesus Christ, to save us from himself, which is unbelievable to think about. Because he was perfect. Yep. And yeah. without sin. Yeah. Well, so this God is, who does it all. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's... It, it's a picture, it's a, it's a real beautiful microcosm of the gospel in Joel, because yes, we see, we see the consequences of sin, right? We see that happening, but in the end, we see God himself protecting his people, like, mm -hmm. from his own wrath, right? Yep. And that's the picture of the gospel. That's what Christ does for us on the cross. He absorbs the wrath of God, right? He takes the full wrath of God for us, right? And so it's a picture, uh, one of these books, uh, uh, this one, Dr. Hamilton, uh, his, his big project was uh, called God's Glory and Salvation Through Judgment. So he goes through the whole Bible and, and shows how that is, he says, probably the, the biggest theme in the Bible. God gets glory and salvation, of course, and how does salvation come? That always comes through judgment. Mm -hmm. Christ, first and foremost example of that, Christ was judged for us as sin who had no sin, right? Israel, right? God's going to get his glory by allowing Israel to be judged. And he's going to get his glory again by judging the people that came in to run over Israel. But the same day he condemned us, in the same moment, he put his plan in action to redeem us. Sure. The same, the same yeah. time. But that wouldn't come without us being judged, right? We were judged, Christ was judged in our place. Yeah. Yeah. So we see that theme. We see glory and salvation through judgment. We see, of course, the day of the Lord in Joel. There's going to be another day of the Lord at the end of human history. Mm -hmm. We see the dual natures of God or, or, or different aspects of God's nature. His mercy, His grace, His forgiveness, but also His judgment and His power and His anger and His wrath. All of that's for real. Anything else, kind of bigger themes that jumped out at us as we land the plane on Joel? Just that God is just, but he always provides a way for us to be redeemed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, he's mm -hmm. not a liar, so he will follow through on his command, but yeah. he gives us the way out yeah. so to save us. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And we may lose things, but we're going to end up with much, much, much more in yeah. the end. Yeah. It's just the scales go tip totally to more. Yeah. 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 And in, in the end, it may not be in, on earth, though. I mean, yeah. The, there's Israel, no guarantees of that. This right. Life, there's right? no guarantees of that in, in life. 
No, no, no. Right. I'm talking about heavenly, yeah, yeah. eternal life. Right, right. I just want yeah, to be clear. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, because you don't know that. Yep. I mean, the Israelites, they were supposed to be exiled for 70 years. It ended up being 400. Many of them never saw the end of that, even mm -hmm. though it was prophecy. Yep. Yeah, so it's, it's quite a microcosm of the gospel. Yeah. It really is. It's a, it's a very powerful book. And we get to see a lot, of the, a lot of the balanced character of God coming out in this. His mercy, his grace, his power, his judgment, his hatred of sin, his sovereignty over all the nations, all of those things that we see. It's like the whole thing, it comes down to the mercy, you know? Yeah. And um, we'd be nowhere without it. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm, we'd still be sitting around with our our, uh, our our bare fields with nothing growing in them, right? <laughs> Starving. Yeah. <laughs> well, we wouldn't be. What? We wouldn't be. Oh, yeah. You know, we were starving. Yes. Well, we wouldn't be. Absolutely. Be on to a different favorite Well, I hope you were encouraged, too, by this. I hope you see the, the faithfulness, the mercy mm -hmm. of our God, but also the power of our God, right? Fighting, fighting for his people, too caring for us. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you. Um, we think of this, this book that's uh, historical, metaphorical in many ways, uh, symbolic, and yet that happened uh, in, in real life and real history, Lord, where your people uh, was invaded and exiled by other nations, by Babylon, by Assyria, Lord. Um, we can't even imagine the horrors that that must have been. And Father, uh, of course, your own heart, how you were jealous and how uh, Jeremiah told us that you were broken uh, over, over their adultery, their spiritual adultery. And Lord, how many times do we do that? How many times do we turn to our own idols? How many times do we fail to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Um, and Lord, we, it just makes us realize of the depth of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which we will, we will focus on in a couple weeks when we get to Easter weekend. Um, help us, Lord, maybe this year, uh, more than other years, to understand the depth of the cross in a way that maybe we haven't before, um, in a way that we appreciate the payment, the satisfying of your wrath, that propitiation, if you will, um, and help us to walk in repentance, bearing the fruit of repentance. Help us to walk in joy. Help us to walk in assurance, knowing that you are a God who does not lie, um, a God that is good and merciful, and yet no one can withstand you. You will judge evil. You will not let evil get away with anything, and yet you have judged us through Christ to be forgiven. And help us to realize the depth and the permanence of that, and no one can take it out of your hand. Thank you, Lord, um, for, for your word. Let it encourage us and continue to encourage us as we think about these things. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.